I'm curious, do you have a really great BS detector? You're, maybe you're often skeptical of others. Are you really street smart? Would you say you're pretty self-assured? You often find yourself being the leader in the group. Maybe you even struggle to ask for help. Do you love a good challenge? Do you fight really hard for the causes you believe in? Do you have a great sense of humor? I bet you're a blast. You might have thought that these were all parts of your personality, but they might actually be coping mechanisms you've picked up over the course of your life, and they're having a huge impact on how you show up, especially on this motherhood journey. Are you curious to know more? You got to take my personality patterns quiz. Here's what's going on. When you were a child, whenever an experience overwhelmed your nervous system, you subconsciously built a defense against that overwhelm. Over time, those defenses became a habit and then they became a pattern. And now as an adult, what we think of as our personality is often this defense pattern running the show. It's so interesting, right? There are five different personality patterns and they're not personality types like the Enneagram or the Myers-Briggs but rather they describe the safety strategies that we immediately go to when we start to feel overwhelmed. They don't describe who we are so much as what's blocking who we are. The good news is that once you take my quiz and learn about your pattern, you can learn skills to break out of that pattern, and then you can live and parent your kids as your true and authentic self. Click on the quiz link in the show notes or go to michellegrosser.com forward slash quiz now to take my two-minute personality pattern quiz. We get in the car, we get on the interstate, and um, we're driving for quite some time. We're getting pretty close to the house. And then for the very first time in my life, I ran out of gas on the interstate with a one-year-old in my car. So this is the moment that I realized what does it mean to surrender? I called my husband. I told him what happened. I got out of the front seat. I got in the back seat. I took my, I took my daughter out of her car seat and I played with her. Mm, wow. That's surrendering. Beautiful. What, what, could, what would the old me have done? Oh, spun out. Just come spun out, yes. spun out. I would have been so mad at myself. I would have been beating myself up. Why did you do that? That was so, you know, whatever word I want to use, dumb, silly, you know, yep. um, that wasn't smart. Um, felt frustrated in all of my time, energy, and effort would have gone into that versus accepting that I am a human being. This is the situation I am in right now. Can I not fight reality? Yes. I get to choose. Do I fight the situation that I am in right now? And you know what? Not fighting the situation actually helped it helped me learn not to do that again. And I'm saying this specifically because I have met so many people, so many women who are like, I have to beat myself up so that I get better. I have to put myself down. No, 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 no. That's a paradox. You can actually accept yourself. You can accept the mistakes that you made. You can accept the moment that you're in and simultaneously improve. Welcome back to the Motherhood Podcast, a live workshop-style podcast that is helping thousands of moms redefine their motherhood journey. There was a point in my life when I was trying to do all the things, parent my kids, pour into my marriage, run a busy law practice, keep up my home, and what I found was that I was on the fast track to burnout until I discovered a better way. 
Now I help women just like you to close the gap between their vision of motherhood and what they're actually experiencing in their day-to-day lives. Together, we'll explore when and where to simplify, systemize, and surrender. I promise you, you're already doing so much better than you think. I'm your coach, Michelle Grosser, and this is Motherhood. All right. Welcome, everyone, to the Motherhood Podcast. I'm Michelle Grosser, and I'm your host. And today with us, we have a very special guest I'm so excited about. We have Dr. Stephanie Lopez. Um, So, Stephanie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited. You know, we were talking a little bit um, before we hit record, and I was just like, I'm going to selfishly ask all these questions that I want the answers to because I think your work is so fascinating. Um, Stephanie is, I'm just going to read it off here, an organizational psychologist. She's a mindset and emotion coach for women. She's a fellow mom, and she's also the creator of the Brave Method and so many other programs to just help resource moms. Um, So I'm excited for you to hear from her. I'm excited for her to share just her wealth of knowledge with us. Um, I'm believing that there's things she's going to say that people in our audience really need to hear. So thank you. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So tell us just a little bit about yourself. Like tell us about you and your family and just kind of a little bit about your work journey that's brought you here and what you're doing these days. Okay. All right. So I'll start with, I live in Florida and I've got a two and a half year old and four and a half year old, uh, both girls. And a fun fact about me is that I met my husband on new year's Eve at a bar of all (laughs) places. (laughs) And I was like one of those people that was like, Oh yeah, you never meet quality people or guys (laughs) at a bar. Not true. Cause I'm quality. And I was there. Because it's so good. <laughs> oh, um, I love to lo- uh, to run. I used to run long distance, but I haven't much after having kids. Sure, you run in other ways. Yes. Oh, yes. Constantly. <laughs> <laughs> um, professional journey. So I'm going to start with the moment that shifted the trajectory of my entire life and my entire career. Ah. I worked at NASA for eight years and. The first year that I worked there, I um, had an opportunity to go to this five-day interactive, immersive workshop. And um, by noon on day one, my like my whole mind was blown. I it, like I'm I was just like sitting there, like what is this, my eyes were open so wide, so much of this, I'm going to talk about today in more detail so that I don't keep everybody totally like, you know, on the edge. But basically, um, I went in and to be really transparent, I was a perfectionist Mm. who inside felt that I was flawed, that I was broken. Like I really had these thoughts of like, maybe something's wrong with me. I had moments in my life more than I'd like to admit where I was thinking, like, I think I need to go to anger management Mm -hmm. um, because there's, there's a a situation here. Turns out nothing Mm -hmm. was wrong with me. 
And this workshop was the moment where every, my whole perspective shifted. I got, I just got goosebumps. Yeah, me too. Um, <laughs> like I already relate so much to this story. Yes. And so then that day I made a commitment. I just knew in my heart, I was like, I, I think that my purpose is to spread this to as many people as possible. And that's what I fast forward to now. That's what I'm doing. Um, however, that, that was in 2013. So what I did is I focused on myself, um, growing myself, overcoming my own demons, um, doing the best work that I could at NASA while I was there, um, before making the leap. Wow. So then when did you make the leap? I officially left January 21st, 2021. <laughs> okay. Wow. How yeah. cool. I love yeah. that. Oh my gosh. Um, I'm not sure how you feel about any cursing, but one of my, <laughs> one of my clients was like, oh, this isn't even cursing. She's <laughs> that's so funny. I'm like used to filtering for my kids. She's like, you have got some balls. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. I love that. Yeah. Man. Oh, it took a long time though, because I did know for a good seven years and I was afraid to leave, but you did it. I did it. I did it. Yeah. And on behalf of women and moms everywhere, thank you (laughs) because the world needs us, right? Like, man, we, we, as women and moms just need these resources and these women in our corner who are coming from a very, um, you know, educated and scientific place to still be able to say like, you're not broken and it's okay. And there's things we can do about this and we can resource you, um, where it doesn't feel so like woo woo-y maybe, (laughs) you know, um, I think it's so powerful, especially in our role as moms, because just the power we have children and the people we lead, um, to make sure we're healthy. So beautiful. Um, So I do want to hear also, I don't know if this is the time you tell me, but do you want to tell us a little bit about the brave method now, or do you think it kind of fits into some of the areas Mm. we're going to be going into, or maybe just like broadly what it is that you created in the idea? Yes. Yes. So, um, I have a few different offerings, but basically the purpose of all of them, and they have different levels of support is to take driven women who feel, uh, broken, who feel anxious, who feel angry and bring them to feeling happy, calm, and, and really proud of themselves, like really proud of themselves um, so that they can show up exactly as they want to and be their best authentic unguarded self. And a lot of my clients, you know, they didn't realize until motherhood when all of these like insecurities started popping up um, and all of these things felt way more triggering in the presence of their children. And then like, oh, I think I need to do something about this. Um, so yeah, yeah most of the women that I work with are moms. Yeah, that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, it kind of reminds me, like I had heard for so long in our marriage, like we were married for eight years before we had kids. And I'd always heard like marriage is so hard. It's so much work and all this stuff. And I was like, that's good. Like we're good. Like, you know, we get home from work, we go to happy hour, we make dinner at 9 PM. We sleep well through the night. You know, we wake up, we're regulated, we're rested. Like, it's good. It's fine. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is so hard. Like there's so many triggers, so many things my kids are mirroring for us or just bringing out, but our relationship, the whole dynamic just changes. It does. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, okay. So I want to get right to it and talk about limiting beliefs. And I know, especially as like an, a psychologist and a coach and just all the work you've done with so many women, I would just love to hear like, are there certain trends or certain patterns that you're seeing over and over with mm-hmm. women or with moms that are really holding us back? And then like, what do we do if we, if, if we like resonate, <laughs> if it's landing for us and we're like, oh man, she's talking about me. Like, what do we yes. Okay. So I'm going to start with the one that I see basically in all of my clients and maybe I'm biased, but this is, I see this in most people. And before I go there, what I'm going to say is that usually people don't think this is them. Mm, Oh, wow. Okay. And it is. So listen, (laughs) So if you think it's not, you listen even closer. Yes. Yes. Like just, just consider, is there even a 1% chance that this could be describing my experience? Oh, wow. Okay. Okay. The people that I come across are not feeling their emotions and it is creating almost all of the issues that they're experiencing in their life and they don't realize it. So what are some signs that they're not feeling their emotions? Well, okay, let's see. What, what are the most common signs that I see? Um, defensiveness is the number one, and I can go into detail about that. Uh, people tend to have a very limited definition of defensiveness. Should I just dive into this now? Or? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yep. Yep. People tend to have a very limited definition. So, so let me ask you rhetorical question, or you can answer me too, Michelle, like, what do you think defensiveness is? Yeah. So I, I probably do have that limited view because I picture it. Like I say something and immediately someone like the walls go up and it's just like justifications or excuses or like that, that instinct to defend yourself in a confrontation. Yes. Yes. Most people think I am protecting myself from someone else in some way. That's actually not what it is. When we are defensive, we are protecting ourselves from feeling our own feelings, our own negative feelings. Now, if you think for a moment, and I'm not just, I'm just talking to everybody right now. If you hear, if you hear that and you're like, yeah, but I'm not defensive. If you're human, you're defensive every single day, every day. And I'll give you a few examples that usually catch people off guard, helping can be a defense mechanism. Being too nice can be a defense mechanism. That one's usually, you know, too nice, usually a defense mechanism, Mm -hmm. obviously being critical, um, using sarcasm, withdrawing into deadly silence. I have a list of over 40, so I'm not going to dive into all of them right now. But the, the, the point is, is that whenever we have this defensive reaction, which most people don't know that they're having a defensive reaction, the the goal, what our mind is trying to do is protect us from feeling inadequate in some way. Mm, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. When we put our effort into not feeling something, when, when our mind puts effort into not feeling inadequate, it gives that thing control, not us. So if you want to choose how you show up in the world behaviorally, if you want to choose 
everything about your life. The key is to deepen your self-awareness, to become aware of those defenses and to feel your emotions. Hmm. Okay. Let's go back to emotions, unless you have any questions there. Well, like like, high, high level I, have so, I, know, I have so many questions, <laughs> but say what you were going to say. And then I'll kind of see if that might answer my question. Okay. So, oh, did I lose my train of thought? Let's see. I was di- going to dive back into emotions. Hmm. Let's see if it comes back up. And okay. I'll- okay. So I was going to ask you, like, I know for me, what's kind of coming up for me is definitely these like people pleasing tendencies. Yes. Have. So if someone is listening and they're like, oh, maybe this part that I thought was just me is actually a defense mechanism or me being defensive um, and they're noticing it, how do I either redirect that or like, what do I do with it once I notice it? Like, how do I, if I'm so out of touch with being Mm -hmm. in touch Mm -hmm. emotions, like where do I start? Yes. Okay. So I take a a two-pronged approach with my clients. One is doing the deeper inner work. And the other is what to do in the moment when I'm feeling defensive. The purpose of the deeper inner work is to heal insecurities. People tend to think that their insecurities are accurate. You know, like if I have, and this might not be like global across situations, it could be in this moment, but if I have an insecurity pop up around feeling incompetent or feeling unlikable or feeling like I don't matter in this situation, that's an insecurity and it's not true. The work is guiding women to the point where they accept and know it's not true. So there's nothing, there's nothing to protect myself from feeling because I can cope with all of it. Even if I have this insecurity pop up and I feel rejected, or I feel like I don't matter, or I feel embarrassed or humiliated, I can deal with that. And when I know I can deal with it, there's no need for me to be defensive. Wow. So it's like learning how to empower ourselves in that feeling and maybe at questioning a lot of the things that we've thought to like, is this really true? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Now I'll put, I'll put like a little asterisk here. Yeah. The goal is not to never be defensive again, because this is part of human nature. The goal is to recover more quickly and to reduce the frequency. So for instance, one of mine that I used to have is or like my signs of defensiveness is I would catastrophize something would happen. And then the world was going to end, you know, and it would take me out. I feel a little bit embarrassed, but I know somebody listening can resonate with this for hours, like hours. I would just not be able to really be productive, do anything that I wanted. Like I would just be so in my head and ruminating. And so the beauty of the inner work doing this work and, and really it's self self-awareness and self-acceptance is that that won't be your reality anymore. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So that was part one. The other part, you know, we do, I do both approaches, the inner and the outer. So we come up with a recovery action plan. And part of this is like giving you this survey that has all of these signs of defensiveness so that you're aware, for instance, all or nothing thinking can Mm -hmm. be a sign of defensiveness. You're like, ah, as soon as you see it in yourself, 
we come up with a plan of like what to do to recover more quickly in that, that moment. Wow. I'm just thinking like what's coming up for me when you're sharing all of this is that is the energy savings almost like, man, oh my gosh, yes. feel all these like, or have all these defense mechanisms. Um, so I can just imagine in working with someone to do that deep inner work and have the awareness and then be able to click out of it quicker and have it less frequently. Like, I feel like that would give you so much more of so many things, right? Probably like time, energy, space, like just increase my level of tolerance with so many other things. You are so smart. Nobody has ever responded in that way when I talk to them about it, but absolutely the amount of time, energy, effort that is wasted. And this is a side note in case there's a lot of working moms um, on the call. This is pervasive in organizations too. The most common defense mechanism in organizations is blame. Mm -hmm. And so, so I I work with, with driven working women. And so we do stuff at work in their organizations too, to reduce the the defensiveness of everyone in the organization so that the organization is more productive as well. I wonder too, another thing I'm kind of thinking of, if you've seen or can speak to this too, especially in organizations, as I think it's such a shame or disservice to women that probably a lot of these defense mechanisms that pop up are almost celebrated in that space too, like being an overachiever or a people pleaser or a yes person or mm-hmm. a, or boundaries or all of these things at the service of our organization and mm-hmm. at the expense of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Like that's what probably gets a lot of women promoted or connected yeah. to the right people or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. I have seen that. Thankfully, not in every company, but absolutely. Yeah, that is the case. And I guess like in that same um, thread, my my next question was really about setting boundaries and it kind of fits right in here. Like, I think we're seeing um, in motherhood, like, I think women are just more overextended and people are expecting more of us than ever, I think especially yeah. working moms, whether you're stay at home mom, like it's showing up for your kids, what we just tried to parent through in a pandemic, like so much. And I think a lot of women that I come into contact with, at least there's this sense of like guilt with setting boundaries yeah. or like it's selfish. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just would love if you could speak into that and maybe, um, you know, encourage some women and then just explain why it's so important that we set and, and really get comfortable holding healthy boundaries. Yeah. I love that you asked this question because my old self had zero boundaries, like none. And I heard this messaging too, like in my family, my, you know, the family that I grew up in and society, you know, that it's selfish and all these kinds of things. And I think that's the patriarchy at work personally, but we won't necessarily go down that rabbit trail today. Yeah. So you know, clearly at this point, I am all about the inner work. So really the question is, what are you afraid of mm. if you were to set the boundary? Because if I just, I'm a root cause, you know, I have a scientific <laughs> background and I want to go to the root cause. I could give you like strategies of how to say it and how to do it. And I do, I do that also yeah. with my clients, but really it's what are you afraid of? If I, if I put up this boundary, 
If I say no, if I back out of something that I previously agreed to or shared my true thoughts or expressed my actual opinion or disagreed, um, maybe they're not going to like me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe for others, it's a different insecurity, right? It could yeah. be something else. Right. I'm um, gonna an opportunity. I'm going to, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. I'm not going to be perceived as incompetent or, or yeah, like, um, so the, the work that we would do would depend on like what hits for you, what insecurity it hits. And the goal is really to overcome that. And the thing is, is that the way to overcome the insecurity is to do the thing that you're afraid to do. What does this go back to? What I mentioned in the very beginning, the biggest mistake people are making is they don't want to feel you got to feel if you want to break through I've, you know, I'll just talk about myself. I would, I, for me, it was a lot of times that they're not going to like me or they're going to be upset with me. And it wasn't until I did the thing and realized that even if they were upset, I could handle it. Then it got easier every time. And I'm just going to throw something out about the guilt, maybe just to try to blow people's minds a little bit. <laughs> Give it to us. Okay. What if take that 1% rule that I said at the beginning, even if, like, just consider if this is 1% true. What if you, and I'm afraid right now that I'm going to trigger some people. So I'm just going to say that. What if you are choosing to feel guilty? Mm. What if, so one of my clients recently, I brought this up to her and she's like, why would I choose to feel guilty? My answer, if you are saying that you don't want to feel a thing or you don't want to do a thing or you want something in your life to be different, but it's not that way, there is a hidden reward for staying the same. Mm. So I'm going to give you a few reasons why I would choose to feel guilty. So this is like deep, deeper stuff. Maybe I choose to feel guilty because I feel like a good person. Maybe I choose to feel guilty because I feel responsible or like a kick-ass employee or a great mom or all these kinds of things that are wrapped in my identity. But here's the thing. Can't I still be a good person, a great mom, a responsible human being, all of the things that I want to be and not feel guilty? Yes. Wow. Wow. What a beautiful awareness. Yeah. It's like we're clinging on to that to make ourselves feel better, but we could find other ways to have that feeling of like goodness or whatever it is that we're trying to get with the guilt, um, separate and apart from guilt that are actually serving us better. Oh, you are so smart. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You get it. Yes, yes, yes. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, I, it's like I'm taking me a minute because all of this is landing too. I'm like, man, you are speaking to me. Um, and does that guilt have any relationship to um, the other parts of us that can kind of jump up like that inner critic? Or, you know, maybe it's the voice of your mom or your mother-in-law or like something mm-hmm. that's chiming in that's just like, I think I run into women where that feels so heavy or it's like that voice is so loud that they have a hard time pushing it aside. Um, so just that, that inner critic, I guess, maybe the interplay with the guilt or if that, if there's someone listening who really resonates with Mm -hmm. that and they're, they're so hard on themselves Mm -hmm. um, and they feel like they're never doing anything right. And all these things, like, what do you say to them? 
Oh my gosh. I love this question too, because this is a very common experience. I might go a little bit away from um, guilt, but bring me back if you need me to, to go there, but specifically with the inner critic. And this is actually another big mistake that people are making. I, and I'll just speak, you know, well, yeah, I'll use, I'll speak for myself. Like if my, my, you know, inner critic pops up, if I try to push that voice away or try to suppress it or try to, um, think happier thoughts or make myself, you know, feel better or think differently. That is the problem. That's the reason why you're staying stuck. Think of if separate yourself, this inner critic, like make this a separate person, name her. So mine's Bianca. Imagine Bianca is standing in front of me and let's say that, um, she is saying things that are not the kindest, like you shouldn't do that. You're going to look bad. You're not going to get that promotion, whatever it is. You're going to be a bad mom. Your kids are going to cry. If you leave them at daycare, I'm just throwing out some random stuff. Yeah. Okay. Resonates, right? (laughs) All of it. (laughs) All of it. Okay. So if I like try to ignore her, push her away. Or if I'm like, you don't know what you're talking. And I get like sassy with her. Like, how is she going to respond? Not well. Right. What if I treated her as a friend and I listened to her? Okay. Okay. So Bianca, I, I totally understand why you're bringing this up. I know you want me to be the best version of myself. Mm. You want me to be successful. You want me to be a great mom, a great spouse. Um, and you're afraid Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's okay to be afraid that this is going to mess it up. So what did I do? I saw her, Mm -hmm. I heard her, I listened to her. I had empathy and showed her like, I get it. And then I can say, is there anything else you need me to know? Sometimes people are afraid of giving like this critic like opportunity to talk more, but when we don't, they keep popping up. They're going to keep that critic is going to keep bugging you until you listen. So just listen. Mm -hmm. And so one helpful tool for this that I like to use is pulling out a journal and like actually putting the statement, like, what do you need me to know? Mm -hmm. What are you afraid of? And then just letting it all out unfiltered, unfiltered, just let it all out on paper. That is doing two things. It's It's giving your inner critic the opportunity to feel seen and heard. Mm -hmm. What does every human want? Yeah. (laughs) That, that, okay. And you're feeling your feelings. You're like crossing out two mistakes. You're like that everybody's making in one shot. Wow. And what a beautiful reframe you're offering, because I think so much when we think of our inner critic, my instinct at least would be to like, resist, shut that down, come against it. It's an adversary. Right. But then to switch and think like, okay, what is this, this inner critics highest intention? Like, what is it actually trying to do? And then, like you said, I was going to ask like, practically, how do we do this? Because (laughs) like, do I sit in my car and like, have like, have these conversations out loud with my, you know, my, my critic, but I love the idea of journaling. Cause that's, and maybe talking out loud is some people do some people just do it in their head some people journal yeah yeah journaling I'm gonna I'm gonna try that um and I bet there's so much um for us to explore there right too oh my gosh so much so much and and what I just remind myself of because of course as a human there are times where I'm like I don't want to feel that right now like I I don't want to do it I don't want to do it what 
you resist persist. Mm. Mm. She will be back. So might as well listen. <laughs> yeah, she's in there, right? Like- she's in there. She's in there. She's going to bring it up again. Um, and yeah, so it's like the, the opposite of what is, um, I don't think I've ever honestly met anybody that just, that does that. So I would say the opposite of what everyone is doing, but that's probably not accurate. What most people are doing is the very thing that will actually create the results that we want. Yeah. 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 It's powerful. That's why we need like a coach or a therapist yes. or someone in our life to help us. Cause that stuff's scary. And it's like, yes. of course we're resisting all of this stuff. So it's like good to have someone to, you know, push us in a loving way, but then like teach us and guide and hold that space and hold us accountable to actually do mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. Beautiful. Um, you were kind of talking about your own experience in catastrophizing and kind mm-hmm. of how you've worked through that. Um, and I just would love to bring it back there for a second, because I think I run into a lot of women and moms who find themselves in this spiral of like worry and overthinking and um, analysis paralysis and like listening to all the, the voices, family members, the news, the schools, like all of these things yeah. coming at us. Um, and I just wonder like how, I guess you spoke a little bit about your journey, but when you come across women who are struggling with these kinds of things, like where do they start? Like, what do you do with, with that much worry? Yeah. Yeah. So right now I'm wishing that I had this quote memorized, but I don't. So I'm going to give a gist of this quote. It's so good. I have no idea where I came across it, but the idea is that it takes just as much trust, effort, energy, something along those lines to, I'm trying to get this right. (laughs) Just, just, if you trust that all is going to work out versus if you worry that it's not going to work out, both things you're believing in something that you can't see. It's true. Right. So it's, so that alone is like, whoa. And I wish I knew who to give credit to that quote to and what the exact quote is, but it's like, Yeah. So bringing back this 1% rule, if there are a way, we're a way that I could choose to trust Mm. or to worry, Mm. what might I do differently? And so that's sort of a philosophical question. And it's absolutely something that I work with people on because what I find that human beings are not aware of is how many choices we actually have. I'm going to just like talk about, I have an in-person two-day workshop that I offer right now. And one of the exercises that we do, the activities that we do is so powerful. It's literally 18 seconds long and people make like something like 30 40 choices in 18 seconds and everyone's mind is usually blown. Um, (laughs) But hello. Okay. So I'm like going all over the place, but like, no wonder why you have decision fatigue because you're actually making way more decisions than you think you are. So giving you some credit there, like everybody listening. And when you realize like, I'm actually making like all of these decisions in any given literal moment, how many opportunities you have to change your entire life if you want to. Yeah. So yeah. Much power, right. 
so much power. I'll give a concrete tool because that one is really experiential mm-hmm. you know, as well. Like to, to, but, but even if everybody just, just leaves that question in the back of their mind, like if I had a choice here, what would I do differently? Cause you know, maybe we don't know if you have a choice, but like, what if you did Yeah, right. use it like as a pragmatic statement? Mm-hmm. Okay. Like a choice not to worry, for instance. Right. Um, one super powerful thing is to separate the story that you're making up from the facts. And this is way more common than people not separating it, but it being intertwined way more common than people think. So what I share is you are never, ever, ever responding to the world. You are always responding to your interpretation of it. And we inherently, we know this. Think about a work situation and two people or a whole bunch of people, we'll just say two, walk out of a meeting and one is like, oh my God, I'm so excited for this change. It's going to make us such a big difference. And another person is like, this is the worst thing that they could do. You choose (laughs) the meaning that you put on every single situation. So I could experience all of these you know, hardships and everything that's going on, you know, in the world right now, all of the hardships in my own life, all, you know, just all of it. And I could put negative meaning that causes me to worry Mm -hmm. or I could change the way that I'm perceiving it. That is a choice to go back to choice that we have. And the more that people master this separating, what is what is the fact here? Then you get to choose your story. You get to check your story for accuracy, all of that. And that is what you're emotionally reacting to every time. Wow. Um, so all of this, if it's making sense in theory, yeah. but we have like the patterns run deep, right? Yeah, they do. <laughs> if you have a pattern of worrying or like walking out of meetings and seeing the negative or like, you know, being so uncomfortable with change or whatever it is. Um, Like practically, like, let's just use the worrying example. What would you say to someone that's like, I try, like, I'm trying not to think of it. I'm trying so hard not to like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, how do you Mm -hmm. start? Yeah. This is probably like a compilation of a lot of the tools that I go over in my programs and some, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not sure that I could give like my personal, answer, right? like, you know? Um, but I did have an immediate thought when you said that, like, I try to make myself okay is also not the goal. Ooh. Okay. That's interesting. Okay. So if we're approaching our thoughts and our feelings with control is probably not going to go great. I want you just to picture one of those like Chinese finger traps okay. and, and like, just Michelle, you're like, okay, now, now try to get your, get your hands out of your fingers out of there. And I'm like pulling, pulling, like fighting, like, I don't, mm, mm, you're not going to work. Right. And it's like, let go. Yeah. Let go. Notice it. Notice like, what is this? observe it, be aware of it. Like, huh, that didn't work. What if I do this? And you can't, obviously you can't see the hand movements I'm making, but like pulling out versus pushing in. Um, yeah, that, that really makes a lot of sense. Yes. 
I love that. I'm going to use that little example because it's true. Like the more you fight it, what, what it really needs in that moment is just the surrender and just like letting itself be. Yeah. Okay. Let me tell a story about surrender. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I would hear this surrender term. Now I am historically, I identify as a control freak. Okay. Um, so not as much anymore. I still like to be in control, which I think is a great thing. Um, but control freak, you know, so anyways, (laughs) um, I would hear people say surrender and I'm like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, Like what, what is that? And I couldn't figure it out. Mm. And I read this book. Okay. Okay. What is the name of the book? Um, Mindful motherhood, I think is the name of it. And um, then I had this moment. I, I was, I can't remember if I was in the middle of it. It doesn't really matter, but I read the book and I had this moment where I had an opportunity to practice surrender and it clicked. It all clicked. I used to work about NASA's about, um, 45 minutes away from my house. So, uh, my daughter was in daycare up there. I got in the car after a long work day and it's, uh, my gas thing said, you have 50 miles till empty. So, you know, I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it even said 60, it was 50 or 60. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So I'll go home and then get gas when she's not in the car. Um, well, you kind of get where we're going, right? So <laughs> I play I that game like- all the time and it drives my husband. <laughs> so I want to hear <laughs> we get in the car we get on the interstate and, um, we're driving for quite some time. We're getting pretty close to the house. And then for the very first time in my life, I ran out of gas on the interstate with a one-year-old in my car. So this is the moment that I realized, what does it mean to surrender? I called my husband. I told him what happened. I got out of the front seat. I got in the back seat. I took my, my daughter, I almost said sister. That was weird. I I took my daughter out of her car seat and I played with her. Mm, That's surrendering. Beautiful. What, what, what would the old me have done? Oh, spun out. Just come spun out, spun out. I would have been so mad at myself. I would have been beating myself up. Why did you do that? That was so, you know, whatever word I want to use, dumb, silly, you know, um, that wasn't smart. Um, felt frustrated and all of my time, energy, and effort would have gone into that versus accepting that I am a human being. This is the situation I am in right now. Can I not fight reality? Yes. I get to choose. Do I fight the situation that I am in right now? And you know what? Not fighting the situation actually helped it, helped me learn not to do that again. And I'm saying this specifically because I have met so many people, so many women who are like, I have to beat myself up so that I get better. I have to put myself down. No, 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 no. That's a paradox. You can actually accept yourself. You can accept the mistakes that you made. You can accept the moment that you're in and simultaneously improve. Amen. Amen. I actually, I'm like, I just, I just wrote an Instagram caption about that yesterday. It's so funny because I had this on my mind. Like I can be, um, like perfectly whole and complete and, and who I'm supposed to be in this moment 
while all at the same time growing and changing and evolving. And it's, it is, it's such a paradox, right? Like it is good. And I'm also growing. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It's it's fascinating. Um, and then just even the shift there too, of like, I think sometimes when we think of, um, surrender, we think of just like relinquishing so much control, but how much control or power, I should say, maybe power we actually get in the surrender. Yes. Dang. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Yes. Beautiful. Yes. And it's also what I'm hearing in that too is like um the association between that um um surrender and then just that compassion for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's really beautiful. I'm glad you shared that story. That that that's a great story. And I think there's a lot Thank of you. women that are gonna you know, have that moment where they can think back and be like, oh, I could have chosen differently, you know, here, here and here. And then that's going to come up for them the next time that they're in that moment where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, what do I choose now? <laughs> so yes. Uh, it's when it all clicked for me. And I was like, well, wow. <laughs> that's great. Yeah. That's beautiful yeah. and powerful yeah. and encouraging because mm. um, we all face it. Like it's just, it's inevitable. Yeah. And and maybe even one thing I I think I've alluded to this and probably maybe, you know, people get it, but like, that's not who I thought I was, Wow, you know? And so I just want to be really clear about that because I could imagine that some people listening to this right now might be like, well, yeah, but I'm a worrier. I'm anxious. Guess what? In college, I diagnosed myself. I'm a psychologist. I diagnosed myself with generalized anxiety disorder. Like, no, no. I mean, may, are there exceptions? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes. And I didn't, I didn't really have, I don't, I never got diagnosed officially. So it's, so I want to like caveat to, but like, what if these things that you think are who you are, mm. are just defense mechanisms? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of power in that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting because I think too, like we've talked about the inner critic, we've talked about this worrying, but I think so many women, or I know so many women, even personally that just like carry that low grade anxiety all day, every day. And I experience it sometimes too. And I, I'm like, I'm in a season where I'm working so hard to get more connected to my body and my feelings, because especially as a lawyer and like, just in how I was raised and everything, like I'm so good in my head. Like I can think and strategize and I can write you a plan and I can show up and like execute it to the T, but ask me to like drop in and like feel what's going on. And then like, where's it coming from and what I can do about it. Like, so I've been noticing this low grade anxiety And the thing that's interesting to me, and maybe a lot of women can resonate is that I can't tie it to this specific occurrence or like what, what, like, you know, I'm anxious about X. Like I can't do that. And I think a lot of women are just like, yeah. Okay. Okay. So talk to me about that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to give one, one powerful example. It ties into everything from today that tends to result in low grade anxiety. Um, there for every single emotion that we have, there is like an inverted U cycle that you can picture in your head. And from the time that we are children, most of us, at least the people I've met are taught. Don't feel. Oh yeah. Feeling. 
Don't feel the feeling, cut it off. And usually our parents and caregivers and, you know, the teachers, they have the best of intentions and they just don't know. So they say things like, you're okay, you're okay, or shh, 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 you know, like, don't be sad all day, every day. Or in more like extreme examples, when children emote, they get sent to their room until they calm down or they get spanked or something like that. And so, yeah, don't feel, don't cry. It's bad. Okay. So from a young age, we learn to cut off that emotional cycle. What happens? And and, and so I'm just going to say most of the time, this is with the intention of teaching our children to, or maybe your parents did this to you to regulate, like they, they are trying to help. They just don't know. And then as we move into adulthood, we start cutting it off sooner when we don't allow ourselves to feel our feelings. It, it it oftentimes results in low grade anxiety. Mm. Other things, you know, things that people, there's mind body connection. You know, a lot of people are aware of like migraines, you know, and so like, you know, things in the body, there's more evidence that like chronic pain can, can result from this very same thing. Um, I won't necessarily go into all of that. It's like not my wheelhouse. However, there's a large portion of humans that are anxious all of the time. And they are also not feeling their feelings fully. I'm going to say there are times that I do not work through the whole emotional cycle. So this is not like a perfection thing. Like I am going to do X, Y, and Z and check that box and done. I'm good to go. It's a journey. It's a journey. Beautiful. Yeah. Let's be patient in it. Yeah. And aware, right. Because, um, there's a reason for everything. Right. So it's like, it's not just there by happenstance. If you're, if you're feeling that there's something to explore there. Yeah. So that's like the biggest cause of the low grade anxiety that I have seen personally. Mm -hmm. And for you, that may or may not be the case. It could be other things, you know? Um, And so without knowing your life better. I don't know for sure, for sure, but I wanted to share like the biggest one that I see. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. A lot of sense of that, that lands. Um, I was having this um, conversation with a friend the other day and she was kind of sharing with me. She had just spent some time away from her kids on a vacation and she'd had some time to really like do some journaling and reflecting and this awareness that came to her um, was how she was kind of putting these labels on her kids. And it was like this awareness where she's like, I want to stop doing that. Um, and then it led us to have this conversation and I just wanted to get your insight in it because I think it's so interesting is that, um, I think sometimes as moms, especially when we're talking with like other moms, there's this, um, desire to like, keep it real and be able to like share the struggles when we're in the thick of it and the things we're seeing with our kids. Mm -hmm. Um, while also not living in that space and trying to, um, like for lack of a better word, also stay positive and like Mm. speak life into things. And that was just such an interesting tension that I hadn't really explored before. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, being real, acknowledging an awareness and seeing these things yet also not getting caught up in 
the struggle of it so much, um, where it kind of beca- like pulls you down, I guess. Mm. How do you like kind of balance this stuff? Yeah. Yeah. This is good. This is a great question. I don't think there's a right answer here. Yeah. And I, and I might say first, I don't necessarily consider myself a positive person. Although if I ask my community, they might have a very different answer. So perhaps I like, I wonder if I, I might actually have found a good balance for me at the very least. Um, so I'm not, sh- should I, part of me wants to ask about the labels of the children, but maybe I should really focus. I think the the meat of this is really around like the positivity versus the keeping it real is the. Wherever you want to take it. Okay. Let's start. Let's start with the second piece. Okay. So the tool that I mentioned earlier around separating the facts from the story, I think could be really powerful here. Um, I'm like trying to like come up with something that like we might be talking negatively about, but we want, you know, want to be positive too. Do you you have like a specific example? Yeah. So where I was coming up was like that the kid's like a whiner or a crier. Okay. Oh, okay. Labeling as a whiner or a crier. Okay. So Mm. Oh, okay. So my brain is actually going somewhere else. And where it went is how can we make an observation about what's happening without judgment? Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and and it's kind of in line with like, what are the facts here? Um, And so noticing like, yeah, there are several times a day when my, you know, my kid whines. And, and maybe as a result of that, I noticed that I feel X, Y, Z. And so taking ownership there is really important. Like they don't make me feel anything. My kid doesn't frustrate me. I choose to feel frustrated as, as a result of this. And so I think every opportunity that we can have where we can take that ownership and say, this happened and I felt not they made me feel is great, great modeling for our kids. Yeah. Um, Something that can make these moments a lot harder is this like underlying belief. This shouldn't be happening. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Or some variation of it, right? Like they shouldn't whine this much or something must be wrong if they're doing, um, if they're having tantrums, (laughs) I'm like thinking of one of my my daughter, when she was two, there was a lot of tantrums, like something must be wrong, but like, Maybe not. And, and so this is also in line with surrendering because if I fight what's happening right now, like by having this thought, it's going to make it feel a lot more painful. True. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to circle back and say something that might be relevant for your friend, but might not. One of my clients um, was in childhood labeled highly sensitive was labeled like, Oh, she just cries a lot. And the way that she grew up is feeling like she was weird. Mm. And we did some powerful work together and discovered she basically never lets herself feel her emotions. And so, like I said, what we resist persists. So in childhood, she was, you know, having emotional episodes quite frequently Mm. because they were shut down constantly, Mm. like 
you know, and I don't want to give too much. I know I didn't say her name, but I, you know, I always feel like, oh, I don't know what to share about somebody's story, but, um, so this really, it's like where I started. It's like yeah. people usually have no idea that they're not allowing themselves to feel, not allowing their kids to feel. And it's creating all of these mm-hmm. outcomes that we don't want. Oh, yeah. And then finally, I guess this is the last question I had written for us today. This has all been so good. But just to pivot a little bit more from maybe even your like organizational background, Mm -hmm. I want to take a minute to talk to all like the working moms and the boss moms and the hustlers and like all these women that are listening because I know they are. Um, And I think it's something I've even been thinking, spending a lot of time thinking about too, is just like this coin, you know, work-life balance. And if that's really what we should be shooting for, well, one, I guess, does it even exist? Mm -hmm. And two, is that really the goal? Mm -hmm. Um, And maybe you have some like thoughts or reframes or, you know, something to offer us there that, that can help. Yeah. And, you know, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about work-life integration recently and things. I saw this great graphic that um, it shows like, a scale. Is that the right word? Where like one, one side is like life and one side is work and it's perfectly balanced. Yeah. And then it's like, what most people want is this. And then another part of the graphic showed like all of the like little pieces that have, that can be balanced within that. And then it's like, I wish I could find it and accurately describe it. It was, it was, it like shined some light on like, it's not, it's, it's really not like equally balanced. There's times when life takes more time, energy, effort, there's times when more focus is on home and there's not one right way. One of the the primary processes of our brain is, is like to categorize things, good, bad, right, wrong, all or nothing. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so it can be tempting to, to think like, well, if it's not perfectly balanced, then that's bad. But is it? Probably not. You know, it's just what our brain is just categorizing it because that's easiest for it to do to process a lot of information. Um, What else did I want to say here? I also, because we're talking to high achievers, I think it could be helpful to mention any concerns around, well, am I, am I being productive enough? Am I getting enough done? I personally have redefined productivity and I'm going to be completely honest. This is something that I am constantly working on. Rest Mm. is productive. And yes, yes. rest is productive. Like that is not how I was raised at all. Side note on a quick tangent story. I got to college and I had a boyfriend and he would like rest and recharge after the workday and stuff, or, you know, going, going to classes and stuff. And I, I literally looked at him like he was an alien. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I feel kind of silly saying this, but I was like, what is this? Yeah. And rest is productive. We, if we burn the candle at both ends, we're going to burn out. We're not going to be the best version of ourselves. We're probably going to snap at our kids more. We're going to get more easily frustrated, more arguments with our husband because we're not giving ourselves like that basic care that we need as humans. 
Yeah. Sometimes I think of it like, cause I struggle with that too. And sometimes yeah. when I'm thinking about it, I try to think of, um, a, a slingshot and I'm yeah. like, I'm slingshot. Like it feels like I'm going backwards or I'm going to like miss out or I'm stepping back in my rest, but I'm doing it because I know it's productive and I'm going to be able to go further and faster and whatever. Yes. And it's like, I can't do that if I don't first pull yeah. back. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. That's absolutely. And I've, been working to release time and a timeline on a lot of things. Obviously there's some things that you kind of can't do that, but other things it's just like, well, that's not what I wanted. That wasn't part of the plan, but like life is the plan from which we deviate. So it's good. Yeah, it is. (laughs) That's so good. I'm going to write that down. (laughs) Life is the plan from which we deviate. Yes. Yes. And so when I keep that in the forefront of my mind, like things are fine. You know, everything is okay. Yeah. And like so much of that worry and anxiety and maybe like all that stuff, like it, it all, like this fits in so well with that. Like life is the plan. We've, we've made it out of everything so far. Like it's all worked out. Life is the plan. Which we do. Yeah. I love that, man. So good. I have so many notes. Uh, I'm going to, for those of you listening, that mindful motherhood book, um, yes. let's connect on finding the right, like the link to the one that you're referring to. I'm going to try to Absolutely. I can put it in the um, show notes. Cause I'm sure that there's people that are going to want to check that out. Um, but before we end, like I, like, where can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Where can they learn more about this Brave method and all these other offerings that you have. Oh, yes. So the best way to connect with me is on Instagram. That's where I'm most active. And my handle is Dr. Stephanie Lopez. So DR uh, Stephanie Lopez. And if you want to go to my website, it's www.brave-method.com. And um, I have something for everyone, free resources, low ticket challenges, one-on-one coaching, group programs, and even in-person retreats, which I personally am super excited about hosting. Um, yeah, we were, yeah, we were talking off air too, but if you want to like take a minute, I know that it's coming up in September. Registration is still open, right? It is. Okay. So I- like, give us our, give these women like their little 30 second, like what, what's it all about? What's this opportunity that you have? All right. So in September, I'm hosting a three night retreat, which is a combination of personal development, eye opening exercises, rest, relaxation and pampering. So think like 60, 60 minute massage and photos on the beach and hair done, makeup done, upscale dinner, while you are literally making yourself a better human by doing these powerful exercises to increase your self-awareness and learn how to show up the way that you want to. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I can't, I'm excited for you. I can't wait to hear about it. Thank Um, you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Thank you for, um, just pouring into so many women, especially the women in our, in our audience today. Um, I know that for me, I'm leaving, feeling like I'm filled up and have so much stuff to like think about and meditate on. Um, So I just thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate you. If you love mommy's polygraph, leave a review. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so awesome if you could take a moment to subscribe and rate the podcast. And if you have just a few more seconds to leave a quick review, 
They really help to get this podcast out to other moms like you. I read every last review, and trust me, when it's late at night or early in the morning before my kids get up and I'm working on bringing you all of this content, your reviews are what keep me going. Leaving a review is truly the best way you can thank me. And of course, DM me on Instagram at themotherhood.podcast. I love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Motherhood Podcast. Head over to the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at michellegrosser.com where you'll find free resources, information on how to join and participate in the Motherhood Village, and more ways to connect with me. If you love the show, share it with a friend. Thanks again for tuning in. We'll see you next time.